we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, I, I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,322 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, slightly moist. It's persistently rained here for a couple of days. I just had a brief spell of sunshine. Decided to get some uh, work done on the boat. Did a bit of painting and I've just had to get all the things that I had prepared and started to paint under undercover. So I'm 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 mildly annoyed, but other than that, not too bad. Yourself? How about you? Well, I'm doing the best I can. Uh, unfortunately, I'm I'm not um, I'm not where I need to be. I'm under the weather. I'll just put it that way. We're doing this in the middle of the afternoon, so um, yeah, we're going to get through this. But before we get started, we did take a big risk when we started all of this. We are not backed by fake corporate dollars that push fake agendas that make everyone hate each other. So if you are interested in supporting the work that we do, we do offer additional features with our now active subscription service. Benefits include access to our instant messaging service for direct communication to us, along with early access to upcoming and sometimes unpublished podcasts as well as exclusive access to our behind-the-scenes uncensored prep sessions where we talk about things that sometimes don't make it to the final product, which you're hearing now, which is what Marty and I just did. And I'd say a goodly percentage of that stuff probably won't make it. So... Uh, we'll, but we'll see. So if you want to take part in this fight with us, if you want to support a team that's willing to do the real research and not give you fake nonsense for talking points, if you want to say screw you to the mainstream media like CNN, Fox News, BBC, Sky News, and MSNBC, then the link is in the program description down below where you can come on board with us and take advantage of these benefits that we're offering to you. And by doing so, you will support our work and the research that goes along with that work. And together we can take the fight to the doorsteps of these frauds that are on the television, in the newspapers, and the talking heads that are on the international stage. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, together we can take action as subscriptions start at just $5 per month. Now, are you still unsure of what you're getting? We now offer a 30-day free trial, which includes unlimited access to all features and content. Again, the link is in the program description down below. All right, so where would you like to start today? Well, I've tried to to get some points to start with today because it's always good to have something in the back pocket. But the uh, speech by Rishi Sunak about the, the new way ahead for a prosperous Britain... None of it came out when I tried to follow the streams. It, it Funny didn't... enough, I have it. Oh, great. Yeah, well, Rishi warns AI could be used by terrorists to build chemical and biological weapons and criminals to carry out child sex abuse. But PM doesn't want to be alarmist, says people should not 
be losing sleep right now. No, it um, warns you about all the god awful stuff that could happen, and then says, "You know what? Don't lose any sleep over that. Yeah, it's don't fine. lose any sleep over it." My problem is AI uh, is taking people's jobs. That's the real thing they should be yes. alarmed about. Yeah. Um, all the rest of it is is you know um, everything. Every good invention gets abused. I mean, I think Nobel invented dynamite um, by adding something to nitroglycerin or, or whatever for mining purposes, for, for better mining. And that advance in explosives with a, a sharper brissance has, has uh, been the ancestor of all the modern day explosives and, and, the, and the advancements made there, which is why the Nobel Peace Prizes were you know, brought about because he felt a sudden and uh, immense pang of guilt for the havoc that he had unleashed upon the world. So all those people um, who are developing AI, remember every time it performs a function that was formally performed by a human being, you are making one more human being one of those useless people. Speaking of which, one in five Britons believe that AI will likely lead to the extinction of the human race. Well, if you're going to have a population of, quote, useless people, as Yuval Noah Harari has said, what are you going to do with all these useless people? That would be one thing. If you've got replacements for all of them, well, then why do you need to keep them around? Well, you see, I, I think that there's two drivers for AI. One is to automate everything so that you don't have to employ people, therefore you don't have to feed them. They're not producing any children because they're they're not they're not getting born in the first place because there's no requirement for them. And the other thing is this idea of perfection so that something that is purely logic based doesn't make mistakes. And the person who never made a mistake, uh, really did never make anything. Um, every process, every thing that was ever manufactured had a, uh, you know, a history of trial and error, and eventually it worked or worked sufficiently to be considered the product that they were after. And I'm I'm not a Luddite. I, I've spent a lot of my time in um, Luddites, by the way, were people on the in, in the Industrial Revolution who would break uh, machinery uh, that was being delivered to mills and mines. They would ambush and destroy steam engines that were being delivered that would take people's jobs. So it goes back a long way. This, this struggle against automation uh, and machines that do people's jobs. But I'm not a Luddite. I've spent uh, a lot of my career in technology. And, you know, I, I know how these advancements can be useful. But there there is always a limit to uh, or, or a cutoff point where useful turns into counterproductive. And if that element of that is people are unemployed people feel useless people can't feed their families because they they can't earn enough that's where things like uh ai become a problem you know i'm, I'm not one of these uh well i think a modern day uh luddite would be uh considered a, a technophobe wouldn't it you know somebody that's afraid of technology somebody that's afraid of any kind of advancement but my line with that is is a very thin one 
I'm for the advances. You know, a lot of people say that, oh, well, you're you're not for this and you're afraid of this. And no, no, I'm not afraid of it. What I'm concerned about is the level of overreach with it. That's my problem. I don't have a, uh, an issue with uh, something that makes everyone's lives easier. My problem is is that it does all of this other stuff, like your, what is it, your, um, your, your home uh, control systems or whatever. Why do private companies or governments need to know that information? It's one thing to have a system that's designed to be closed for you and you alone to have access to, but this other stuff, None of this information needs to uh, needs to go any further than that. For example, you remember I told you I got into the electric car one day and I got a notice yeah. on the console on the screen and it said due to um, an outage in maintenance, there um, there's a problem with uploading your location information to the auto manufacturer itself, Renault. And I thought to myself, excuse me, I, I never agreed to that. I, I never I never said anything in the in the purchase or, or whatever about about giving that information to that company that has nothing to do with anything they should I have nothing to do with anything. yeah but it was there in, in the small print could but have let's been. face it all of us have not got time to read all of the small print and that's how they're getting away with this they're getting away with it by um people not fully understanding what it is they're purchasing and or signing up to and and how it can be effectively used against them that's the thing i mean history repeats itself because no one was listening in the first place or no one no one was paying attention there's been a number of things we've all now got mobile devices that can track and trace unless you've got those that are utterly digitally secure which i know you do have and i saw a guy talking about uh, a similar product today on a video on my mobile device that can be tracked and trace where it's got the kill switch that completely cuts off the electronics from the battery because otherwise even in airplane mode you can be traced it's pinging off towers it knows where you are so something that is feeding back your energy usage to anyone other than the the company that's providing you with that gas or electric it puts a marker on you it is that social scoring it's this household is inefficient so therefore we're going to choke their energy usage and cut them off if necessary and, and it it's all about our elected officials trying to uh, modify our behaviors well get f my behavior is my behavior. I will do as I will as long as I harm none. And their definition of harm might be that, oh, they've used the tumble dryer twice this week. I think that's too much. They should only be using it once. Well, that's not on. You know, it's none of their business. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but it, it, it annoys the hell out of me that um, we're not, we've not paid attention. We've already seen what can happen with these tiny technological advances that become part of everyday life that used to be either done face-to-face -face or, or by a person, uh, and now they are done by a device. Uh, and we are slowly but surely allowing the powers that be to make us unnecessary. I think a good example of that would be social media, wouldn't it? You know, that was something that was that was non-existent and now it's in everybody's pocket, right? You're getting stuff in in real time and your thoughts and your 
your behaviors are influenced based on what you see because everyone has their own different version of reality now, don't they? Yeah. Uh, and it is that conscious bias or subconscious bias that is being fed to so that they can create divisions in society. That was one of the points that I, I really agreed with Melissa in the last podcast that she did, uh, is that we need to focus more on what's the same about us rather than have these ridiculous arguments that just fall down into name calling, which happens all the time on social media. But at the same time, I would say if you know someone's political standpoint and ideology, then as they speak, if you can tell, if you know what's coming out of their mouths is manipulative propaganda, you've got not only a duty to yourself, but a duty to others to stop listening and interrupt them and and put them straight. Because the more people listen... And you get some very good orators uh, put into these positions who sound convincing um, and th and they can sway people. But if it's an absolute Machiavellian plan that they are concealing with weasel words, then those that recognize those plans and those patterns have a duty to the rest of society to stand up and say no. You know, one of the biggest problems that I've always, yeah, one of the biggest problems I've always run into is you, you can't, you can't reason with people in the times we're in now. It, it's almost impossible because you don't have people that are willing to, to talk. You have people that have been galvanized in their opinions based on the, the thought patterns that they've been given via their social media or, or whatever. And everyone else falls into that group. You don't have the meaningful dialogue. You know, that's what we try to promote here. That's the whole reason we started all of this to begin with, was to to keep that meaningful dialogue and to keep that conversation going. To give you an example, right? This let's, So let's look at a galvanizing issue, Israel and Palestine. Very galvanizing issue, right? Now, we can get into some of the things we were discussing in prep, but let's look at it like this. So you've got protests that are happening on both sides all over the world, college campuses. You know, we've argued that college campuses in the United States have been indoctrination centers for uh, going back many decades now. So this is nothing new. University of California at Berkeley is offering extra credit to those that protest in one way, but not in another. So what do we think about this? It's insane. First of all, it's insane. But if you're pro-Palestinian, and we're just we're just having a non-biased discussion about it is all. We're not taking a side. We can't. But if you're a pro-Palestinian student and you protest in favor of it, then you get extra credit. But if you protest counter to that or have any differing of opinion, then you don't get credit. That's just ridiculous. That is, what's it got to do with someone's education? My point indoctrination uh, it's not indoctrination education. not education i mean a lot of this is is you will not see a more totalitarian albeit um usually uh benign like the uae a benign dictatorship it is looking after its own people saudi very much the same as well looking after what they considered to be Saudi nationals first and foremost. Did I just hear somebody scream? Yeah, it's half term and there's thousands of small children. Oh, okay. All, all right. I'm just making sure yeah. that nothing was wrong. That's that's all. No, nothing's nothing's wrong. But my friend in the Philippines sent me this picture. Oh yeah. goodness. Um okay. that's that's not going to go well. I can I can assure you. 
So for the benefit of the listener, it's uh, an LGBTQ plus whatever the other letters are um, demonstration with all the rainbow flags and the trans flag and, and so on. And someone's got a rainbow banner or placard that says Allah loves equality. These people, whether they are pro-Palestinian, pro-Israeli, pro-LGBTQ+, anyone who thinks that they are going to be tolerated, these kind of left-wing students, the, 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 the whole student body is pretty much left-wing. There's very few uh, right-wing students because they have been indoctrinated, but they are effectively Turkeys voting for Christmas. The kind of um, people that they are backing with their with their protest will not tolerate them, will not accept them, because they are never going to want to conform to either uh, a Sharia or Judaism, for instance. They're, they're not going to want to uh, conform to either of those dogmatic religions. And they are just a renter mob. They feel it ne- that they feel it that they have to signal their virtue uh, in one direction or another for either side. But let's face it, in my humble opinion, okay, I'm facing it. No, you don't have to face it, but I'm facing it. There's no good guy. Both sides are guilty of of atrocities. And the sooner um, we realise that and butt out, I mean, sometimes there, there has to be, sometimes there has to be that fight. You know, you've got... Um, two kids butting heads in a playground and i'm sorry to bring it down to something so simple but sooner or later they have to have a fight to establish dominance or at least get it out of their system so that the struggle has happened and sometimes they shake hands and part as friends other times one just goes away with a tail between the legs and doesn't bother the other one again it's as simple as that you know, not all problems can be resolved through politics, particularly these days, because politi- politics has been and diplomacy has been completely subverted by people who are out for themselves, are politicians, are unelected advisors in the World Economic Forum, the EU Commission, the United Nations. They are all colluding uh, against us. So they're not going to solve any problems. So maybe the only solution is to have the fight. Let the fight take its course. But now we're in a problem, of course, with the threat of nuclear weapons, because the the nuclear proliferation has happened uh, despite global attempts to to slow it down. So, yeah, we've, we've got a real problem on our hands. And that's a bit more scary to consider than you know, criminals using AI, for instance, to do all kinds of bad things, which Sunak was on about, we should be much more scared of this fight going beyond what can be contained. You know, speaking of the uh, the nuclear proliferation, I did hear something rather alarming. Uh, it has nothing to do with Mr. Sunak there, but um, I did hear, and it's a this is a rumor. You know how rumors go; they could be true or they could be not. Um, this is a this is a rumor that's going around that the uh, the Houthi rebels out of South Yemen got their hands on a stolen nuclear device. Well, that is pretty scary. It is. Um, I have to admit that is pretty scary indeed. But you know where the target of that will be. Oh, of course. So um, a steel curtain 
of security uh, around Riyadh needs to be established. Yes. And we, we can talk about that. But, you know, I, I want to get back to this uh, this thing about this this photo that you showed me. Just to be clear, you've spent a, a lot of time in the Middle East. You've lived in those countries. You understand the mindset of people. You understand how their, their systems of, of government, how their religion works. There is zero tolerance for that type of behavior in those countries, isn't there? Uh, you'd think. You'd think, wouldn't you? They know it goes on. And no one is going to be openly gay. But, of course... Globally, I think it's either about one in five or one in three people are not heterosexual. Is it that goodness? It's I that high. I've, it I've is not that looked high. at the statistic. Okay. Yeah. And the issue is their culture suppresses it They're through the, 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 the religion and through Arabic culture, it suppresses it. And so it's forced underground. And as long as you keep it underground... And don't make it an embarrassment to your family. That's pretty much where it stays. This is actual, right? This is verbatim how I, how it was explained to me by uh, an Emirati Muslim who said when they were at school, because they didn't have girls at their school, if one of the boys, uh, usually the son of one of the expat teachers, so someone from Egypt or one of the other countries that Pakistan come in as a, yeah 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 if they were pretty they would get raped and they didn't consider that it was gay if they were the one doing the raping so yeah think about I, I that I don't exactly know what to say to that but um that's 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 fairly controversial uh, but I can so, stand yeah. by that I could even tell you the name of the person who told me and it wasn't well, just we're not one person well, we're not but we're not going to do that no so it's kind of like the the culture. It's like you know when you, when people go into prison, they're gay for the stay. Yeah, they're, yeah? they're making a big deal about this now with like uh, these uh, trans inmates and having them move to like women's prisons and and vice versa. Yeah, uh, and it to my mind, it, it's it's just the the people who wind up in prison, for instance, have ha have, have already demonstrated that they've got problems controlling their more base urges, either for violence, for theft, or um, sexual misconduct. So it's hardly surprising. But in a normal culture where, I say normal, in a Western culture where boys and girls get to mix at an early age, those urges can be satisfied, for want of a better word again. But in a culture where there is such separation of boys and girls within education and in later life, the, the, the restrictions on, you know, becoming an adult and almost immediately being married to someone who your family has decided you will be married to. So these powerful um, adolescent puberty-driven, you know, sex hormone-driven urges certainly in these these muslim countries do turn out with boys raping boys it happens uh, and the way they explained it is you're only gay if you're on the bottom let's turn to a rebellious uh, streak that goes on in these countries uh, it's being reported that there are iranian dissidents that are rebelling against the uh, the mullahs how is that going to be handled in this current climate that we're in now because if you've got a dissident movement, I'm I'm not saying it's it's genuine. This could very well be a a deception. It could very well be planned and staged for them to go after a real dissident movement to get good people mixed up in it. But 
any kind of dissident movements that take place in any of these countries, because now we can see the the Islamic world is being galvanized in one way or the other because of this divisive issue. How are dissident movements treated? How will it be treated, in your opinion? It will be stamped down on really, really quickly and violently uh, by the Iranian armed forces, their police force, all of which are being told what to do from a group of religious leaders. So it, it will be stamped down on, but it needs to have some success because I think we're getting to the point now where there is no longer anyone able to to protest against the mullahs that remembers Iran as it was in the days of the Shah and how cosmopolitan and advanced Iran was before it was thrown back into the Stone Age by religious ideology. The place was, it, it was kind of on the grand tour, you know, when Europeans were, you know, went traveling, spent six months or so. Iran was the place to be. It, it, it was, uh, it had art, it had music, um, theater. Very educated uh, people as well. Very educated people. And with the Shah being deposed through uh, a, basically a, re a, a rebellion on religious ideology, it, it set it all back. So generationally, we're now running out of people who who are who were being driven by remembering its past glories. Most of the people who are 20, 30 years old don't remember those. They never they never lived them. So they would have only heard about them from their parents and their grandparents. But slowly but surely, that past knowledge, that that idea of what it could have been or still be, will disappear. So people will just be used to being stamped down on. However, anybody who is kept in a cage, when they get out of that cage, are likely to go wild. So, you know, the, the, the kind of restrictive, draconian, totalitarian measures that the mullahs put into place will always generate some resistance, but I think it is decreasing in half-lives with each generation. I think this actually goes to a point that you were making in prep, and, and that, that leads to with each generation. This comes with the uh, the process of spoiling generations, doesn't it? Yeah. Everyone tries to, to give their, their offspring the best they can, but sometimes hard lessons still need to be learned. And if those hard lessons don't occur naturally, sometimes uh, a good parent has to has to even sort of get them to happen. But for parent, you could say government or you could say any kind of guardian that has got some influence on your life. They, they sometimes need to teach you a lesson. You know, if you look at some of these places like Iran in particular, since we're on the, the subject of that. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I was, I was, well, I spent more than a couple of years ago, I think it was whenever um, they knocked out, uh, what's his name, uh, Soleimani, the head of the Revolutionary Guard. I remember watching on television at the time, they were showing like the funeral processions and, and everything. You saw everybody in that crowd, they were they're stomping all over American flags, which is to be expected. But at the same time, they're all dressed in the attire of American clothes, you know, American brands, Nike shoes, Adidas hats, you know, th these types of things. And it's like, hang on a minute. Um, you supposedly hate that culture. You supposedly hate what they stand for. Yet you you drive around in Chevrolet vehicles. You, you drive around in, in Ford vehicles and you wear all the clothes that we produce. Yeah. They are very uh, jealous is is one word, but 
hungry for anything that is westernized. What did I mean? What did the the Crown Prince of Saudi Saudi Arabia just say in that speech earlier? He said the Middle East will be the new Europe. Yeah, yeah. Well, Saudi in particular, yeah. So Saudi in particular will be the 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 new Europe. Um, so they're craving that Western way of life in terms of um, production, uh, in terms of culture, in terms of entertainment, in terms of, you know, all, all the things that we like about our own countries. They don't they don't really like their own country that much because their own countries are by and large inhospitable desert. Until such point as you build a great big apartment block with air conditioning, hot and cold running water and swimming pools and gyms and those kind of things uh, attached to a massive mall where they can buy all those Western products, which is what they crave. I actually did this as part of a, an essay for one of the uh, modules within the degree I was doing. And it's why do we buy things why, why do why do people buy things? And some of it is obviously necessity. You need food. You need um, this. You need that. But when it comes to uh, ex- excesses, you know, luxury goods, why do we buy certain things? Is it because we're susceptible to advertising? Is it a way of showing status? In the past, the Arab warrior would have a fine uh, Arab stallion or a. a, a Usually the lighter colored, even white camels, they would have a bisht, which is the outer robe, which is trimmed in gold. Their rifle would be filigreed with, I think that's the right word, with gold inlay uh, and all those kind of things. Well, now the rifle has been replaced by the latest mobile phone or, or a gold watch. Uh, a Rolex or, uh, you know, one of the other prestige makes. The Camel has been pre- replaced by a Ferrari, a Lamborghini or a Bugatti. Yeah, there we go. I've actually, I've actually got one of these. This is a, and you know what's funny? Don't ever buy yourself. Don't don't ever get an expensive watch. This is a warning. This is a Tag Hoya watch. Don't ever get one of these because it will spoil you for every other watch that you ever buy. Yeah, uh, and... There, there was, I can't remember the na- name of it now, but there was one I kept walking past in the mall in Dubai and it was like £12,500 worth of watch and I could have bought it for myself, but I just kept walking by and wanting it uh, and I still don't have that watch. Well, I'll so, do one better. I was in Hamburg and I walked past, uh, I, was in, I was in one of the shopping districts, you know, where they have like all the Louis Vuittons and the, you know, yeah. the, that kind of stuff. And I walked past this this place. I can't remember what the the shop was, but it, it was a uh, it was a place where they sold watches uh, and expensive jewelry and things like that. In the window on the the sidewalk, I stopped, and there was a, there was a watch in there, and it was ninety nine thousand euros. And yeah. I said, "Hell no!" You know, like it's just uh, you, like, you why, went in why would you to buy it? But Macron had already bought. He'd it. already bought it. Yeah, he had it on reserve. Yeah. But you know what? I I wear some hundred dollar watch. This is a um, this is a Sun Two Core. Uh, I'll give the the shameless plug. I don't care. Uh, and this is what I wear. It gives me a barometric pressure. It's an altimeter. It's you know temperature and timers and all that stuff. And yeah, this this does me just fine. Yeah, I've, for anything a little bit outdoorsy, I wear a G Shock. Those are good. And, too, yeah. Those are yeah, about hundred bucks. Uh, yeah. And my dress watch I got free with my points from Etihad which is a fossil 
uh, and I thought Fossil makes sunglasses and other things. Uh, but yeah. it's I, I've I've had good watches in the past, but I've never spent. Don't buy them. Two, don't buy two, them. three hundred pounds. Yeah, they're not they're not worth it. Don't don't buy them. Yeah. It, like I said, when I say but, it spoils you for other stuff, just you know, don't don't even waste your money on it. It's just but it's back, crap. Back back yeah, to go your on, point. Go on. Back to your point about the demonstration in Tehran uh, at the funeral of their. Um, was it? It was a drone attack that got him in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and I, you know, I, I don't want to get into that, but yeah, it, it was. Yeah. In the end, that's what it was. Yeah, but so are they going to be burkas and kandoras or dish dashes or the traditional pastun sort of costume? No, they're not because they're they're young people and they do kind of idolise everything that happens in the West. That's what they're crying out for. Uh, so they, they dress that way. The thing about within the Emirates and certainly Saudi is by wearing national costume, they don't get messed with. Everybody is ultra careful of upsetting a local because they know that there can be some very vindictive people out there. If you upset a local, he's not going to argue and shout and scream in the street at you. He'll just get your car registration, go to his cousin who's in the police force, and you will have problem after problem after problem after problem. So they wear national costume because it actually makes life easier for them. Whereas in Tehran, not so much. Life isn't easy, so their only kind of protest, it is a protest against the regime that they're under, is to wear Western clothes. Well, our Iranian listeners that are listening to us through a, a, via VPN will probably appreciate your standpoint. I suppose we should move on to this. I, I thought that I would uh, I would bring this up. I've been wanting to talk about this for a few days, but um, I, I haven't been able to. And, and I, I thought this would be a great point uh, to talk on it. We've moved a number of assets into the region. And now you've got uh, talk. And I, I think at the moment, it's just talk. I hope it's just talk of an actual ground invasion going into Gaza. And I, I don't think that would go very well, to be fair, because you're talking about urban warfare. But again, we don't actually know what amount of stuff we're seeing is actually real versus propaganda. I, I think we're seeing more propaganda than we are real things. But we were going over some things in, in prep and going over some videos. But let's just say for the sake of argument, right? I, I, don't, I, I don't see how uh, it can really be avoided long term. But let's just say for the sake of argument that this develops into a wider conflict, right? Let's say it expands throughout the region. Well, then obviously you're talking that it's going to expand even further from that and it's going to go further um, around the world and you could possibly see World War III being triggered out of something like this. If that's the case, we would be talking about needing our armed forces to be up to to par and we all know that they're not, don't we? So the United States right now, we have a study that was done by the, um, uh, the American Security Project and they found that Nearly 70%, which was the number that I kind of thought anyway, around two-thirds, 70% of American soldiers are obese or overweight. That means that they cannot, at the current time, they cannot pass the long-term strength and physical fitness portion of being a soldier. So what do we do with that? And then, of course, you, if you have a draft, let's say worst case scenario, you have a draft, you've got the same problem within that demographic of 18 to 35 within the population. So where where are these figures coming out of? Where, where is this 70 percent? Who's, who's um, the American that? the American Security Project, which is a Washington based nonprofit organization. Uh, they did a They did a study and they defined it by body mass index. Yeah. Of, OK, of let's, let's talk. About, see, I knew you were going to say that. OK, okay. Uh, it's not that. 
I think that we're at the best possible level of readiness across NATO that we could could be because we know that's not true. However, body mass index is the most inaccurate way of determining if someone is physically fit or overweight. I myself, I'm six foot three. Yeah, I've spent most of my life at around about 18 stone, which I think is 250 pounds or, or, or thereabouts. So I was considered to be morbidly obese. I was considered to be something like four and a half stone, and there's 16 pounds to the stone, uh, overweight. Yeah, when I was either in, a, in an extreme, not fitness regime, but if I was doing lots of, uh, of moving around, walking, marching, force marches with heavy kit, I sometimes dropped a couple of stone within a fortnight. Uh, I got all the way down to 13 stone, which was still above what they were recommending for my height. I looked like I'd just got off of that railway that the Japanese were building in the Second World War. I was emaciated, I was skinny, you could count all my ribs. People have different body shapes, different sizes and BMI is the worst way of measuring anything so I would say that that 70% figure is really wrong and I've, I've seen your guys and girls and yes there are some some that are obese but I would say the majority are not it's whether or not they can pass that fitness test that's important and our fitness test our battle fitness test is a three-mile run uh, with full kit for, for most infantry. Every time year, limit. everyone has time limit is, uh, I think it's 12 minutes on the first mile and a half, which is squatted, and then the second mile and a half is individual, and the time limit on that, depending dependent on age, is a further 11 minutes. And what that's based on, I've surmised anyway, if you had a company... Uh, so you, or a platoon, sorry. So and it's spread the three sections. No, it's a company. So you're spread with the three the three platoons of the company spread over a front. That front equals about a mile and a half. So if all the people are advancing forward with the right spacing, if all of a sudden you come under fire under one flank or the other, and you have to move a platoon to the other flank to reinforce the one that's come under fire, the distance they're going to cover is about a mile and a half. And it has to be done within a known amount of time. So that that's what it was based on. But nowadays, you've got mechanised infantry. Everyone's moving around in uh, armoured fighting vehicles or, or armoured jeeps. So it's kind of inconsequential. It's whether or not they've got the core strength to deliver an accurate battle shot and not all about the legs. So the, the run is really all about the legs. Their ability to fight once they're in, in combat is all about core strength, good cardio, so that they can keep their breath under control and shoot from any angle. When you learn to shoot, a lot of the, the shooting done is in the prone position you will very rarely get to return fire to the enemy from the prone position you'll be using whatever cover is available you might be shooting around the corner of a building you could be kneeling squatting half lying with your body raised up it's all about core strength so the requirements for military fitness have changed you know with with more mechanized units 
I did have another point to make there, but I I can't remember what it was, so um, we'll leave it at that. Well, yeah, we could do with some more uh, some more troop numbers. We've been whacked down to basically nothing, uh, in my opinion. When you say basically nothing, you're well compared you're, to what we used to be. Yeah, your Marine Corps is still bigger than our entire armed forces. Yes. Uh, right now, uh, if I understand it correctly, we've just moved 18,000 into uh, to reinforce everything that we've got in the Middle East and the Med. And I think at the moment we're still moving assets and we're still moving. We're increasing troop numbers in Eastern Europe, most notably Poland. And I think the reason we're doing that to Poland is because I believe that that's where the Russians are going to go next uh, if they're if they're successful uh, with what they're trying to do. Well, within the Middle East theater, you've got this issue again with Turkey. Turkey's a secular country. There, there's Christians and Muslims within Turkey. Yeah, yeah. However, the government of Turkey, despite the fact that it's a NATO country, is allying itself with with Hamas. Yeah, I did see that. Uh, Erdogan said yesterday, he's, he's saying it in, in Turkish, obviously, so we, I mean, we can't really play it, but he did say that uh, Hamas is not a, a terrorist organization. It's a liberation movement. Funny enough, there are two other countries in the world that say the same thing, apart from Iran and, you know, the allies in the region, uh, and that would be Russia and China. Yeah, uh, and that's really quite ironic because the last thing that you'd expect countries like Russia and China to support would be a liberation, freedom, human rights organization, because those two countries have, have, have stamped down on, on all of that. The reason, of course, they're getting behind them, because every single bit of attention put into the Middle East is one less bit of attention that can be put to whatever China and Russia are doing. And this is the problem. As I've said, and I hate to keep repeating myself, we need to butt out. We need to butt out of everybody's business. You know, we we have reduced our, our military strength. If if we were not reliant on NATO, our individual military strengths would be greater. The facade of NATO that it's one great big unit that will fight together with countries that have the same opinions. It doesn't work. It, it it doesn't work. We have got all got so many different individual national agendas that the concept of this global agenda or NATO-wide agenda where we will all rock up and fight for that one cause simply doesn't exist. There isn't that kind of cohesion across NATO when you've got countries like Turkey that are prepared to back Hamas. Well, this was part of the, uh, the the overall long range policy was we're going to take away the image of your enemy. That was the point was if you have no enemy, then you have no galvanized response against it. Yeah. But again, the concept of NATO, this massive group of countries that will put their defensive capability and offensive capability all in the direct, same direction at the same time should have been enough to stand against the Soviet countries and china i i um, believe that i believe that it could be had it been done correctly and not messed up and gummed up with all the politics and and stupidity yeah yeah uh and leopard tanks that are big and with capola is big enough to put 
pregnant women in and yes. bullshit like that. Yeah. yeah. We're going to call it here a few minutes early. Uh, do you have any final points you'd like to make? I don't know if I made a single point right the way throughout all of that, to tell you the truth. Uh, I won't find out until you listen back to it. But no, I'm 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 good. I'm good for today. But we, we do need to keep uh, a very good eye on what we're being told uh, by the mainstream, read through the lines and work out what the truth might be, because you're certainly not getting it from those bastards. Well, unfortunately, I, I think we're going to have to call this one done. But before we go, Marty, I have a surprise for you. And I, I didn't want to neglect this. So I, I have to play this for you. Since we've been talking about what's been going on with uh, armed conflict uh, throughout the world, I thought that I would play. Uh, but well, Greta, she was on uh, the BBC One show. Uh, earlier this week. I don't know if you caught that uh, or not, but uh, she she was on. Thankfully, and this is, no. Oh, well, this is what she had to say. War is always bad, specifically for the planet. If we want to continue uh, fighting battles like environmentally conscious humans, we must make the change to sustainable tanks and weaponry. There are so many new concepts for uh, battery-powered fighter jets that can carry many more um, missiles, biodegradable missiles, of course. Something literally everybody can do to stop this nonsense is, for example, block the roads to gardens and farms so the plants don't get overrun by these heavy, heavy tanks. Hand grenades, very important. If you use hand grenades, please use vegan grenades. No animal should have to give their life for all this mayhem and chaos. They have a special sticker on them. You really can't miss them in the... Uh, grenade market or wherever you buy them. Yeah, I cover all of this and more in my newest book, Vegan Wars. No, of way. course that was that, that was that satire. That was AI. That was that was sad. That was a deep fake is what it was. But yeah, it was yeah, a very yeah, well done yeah. uh, deep fake. Yeah. No, I I think I had seen the start of that clip and immediately went swipe and got rid of it. <laughs> the vegan hand grenades. Vegan uh, hand grenades, yeah. Biodegradable yeah, missiles yeah. And, and electric fighter jets, yeah. Mm. Uh, they're actually, it's it's funny because there is an element of truth to some of what she said. And the reason I say there's an element of truth to it is because you do have whack jobs in the Biden administration that say that we need an all-electric military vehicle fleet uh, by 2035 or, or something, uh, which I think is just, is lunacy. So there are elements of truth to what she just said, sadly. Well, you know, maybe it will just be a fleet of those mobility scooters that really fat people uh, who can't be bothered to walk around a supermarket uh, oh, use. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a great conversation, my friend. Uh, I will see you next week. Yeah. You will indeed. Yes. Uh, thank you, listeners. Uh, I'm sorry if I didn't make any actual points today. Maybe I did. I won't find out until tomorrow when I listen back to it. That's going to do it for us for today and for this week. It's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. I will see you next week. Thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday.